0: This is the Entrepreneurs vs. Coronavirus podcast with your host, Ryan Kononoff. We're in an unprecedented time right now. As coronavirus continues to spread throughout Canada, and in fact our world, we're starting to hear some remarkable stories of how businesses are rapidly evolving and innovating within their space. In this next interview, I had the opportunity to speak to Parker Ray, who is the Director of Operations and the original co-founder of WorldSpec.org. What I want you to listen for is how we saw an opportunity to innovate at a time where the general acceptance for online learning just wasn't there. Today, more than ever, everyone is buying into online learning, and so Parker talks about how they're taking this opportunity to meet the needs that exist today through discounts, payment plans, and some alteration to how they would normally service their customers. In particular, listen to how he talks about some of the challenges they're facing with their own people who are already working from home and are now struggling to get full days of work in at a time when they're busier than they've ever been. Parker, welcome to the Entrepreneurs versus Coronavirus podcast. Uh, so just to start out, why don't you tell me a little bit about WorldSpec for those that haven't heard of you?
1: Yeah, perfect. So, WorldSpec became the world's first ever online training company in our uh, niche sector, uh, which is called non-destructive testing. Essentially, we um, use technologies that are similar to the medical field, like ultrasound and X-rays, to uh, look at the inside of metal things like uh, airplane fuselages, trains, pipelines, and we can see inside of them and look for cracks or defects that are maybe just beginning to happen and hopefully get to those and and get those fixed before something big really does happen and they crack or break off. So my father was a trainer in that sector um, my whole life and he traveled all over the world and we didn't want to do that anymore. So he and I and and my family together, we were thinking of other ideas and we said, you know, we've got this great 56k modem here. Why don't we uh, look at doing some online training? And uh, so we, we, built this online training and literally we were just shifting over to dsl or cable modem that's about how long ago it was wow Um, and uh, we built this online platform and it was incredibly basic it was basically like a a textbook online um, almost like a pdf online and and we started selling this training in in my father's industry and it it started taking off pretty significantly Um, however as with most things in a disruptive industry uh, there was significant pushback we had a lot of people that were in their 50s and 60s in the industry older men that didn't think it was possible to do online training (laughs) and so we uh, we sort of showed them otherwise but essentially all they would do is if you if my father went to a classroom to teach you'd bring a powerpoint and just stand up there and and read a textbook or a PowerPoint. And so there was really no reason why this couldn't have been taught online. But there was just kind of a stigma, I guess, with online training, which to some degree in some industries, there still is that stigma that the training is not as good or not as effective as uh, traditional classroom training. So basically, in a nutshell, that's how we got to where we were. Um, We ended up kind of exploding because we were the only ones. And there was a new generation of millennials that were moving in to uh, take over the industry and they obviously wanted training now and they wanted training immediately and at their fingertips. And so um, that really helped us. And we eventually sold to uh, the largest NET company in, in, in North America. And um, I've been working for them since then. Wow. That that's an
0: awesome success story of, of, from, from startup to uh, to exit, and and you're still are you still involved on on sort of an earnout? Is that your involvement, or are you uh, what, what what does your role look like today?
1: Yeah, so today, I mean, our earnout is is come and gone now. I've I've been with the company, this newly acquired company, for seven years now, um, and I'm I'm still an entrepreneur at heart, and they kind of let me run it a bit like an entrepreneur. I, I have technically a boss but um, in terms of the day-to-day operations I I can kind of do what I want with it except when I need money or funding then it's you know there's a a lot of bureaucratic red tape that goes on to to get anything but in terms of operations I can kind of run it as I want and and make my own hours and just be responsible for it that way so I still feel a little bit of entrepreneurial stuff in me and and I I really want to get back out there and, and explore what else is out there but for now I've been happily employed. Very cool.
0: And, and so let, let's uh, just for, for those that are listening, tell us a, a little bit going back to where you started, like what did a course look like on your website back when people were connecting to the internet on dial-up modems or through ADSL or DSL connections? What did it look like then? And fast forward to today, what is a course on your platform look like today?
1: Yeah, so initially, literally what we did was scan textbook pages from my father's textbook and upload those to the internet. And we had the legal commercial rights to sell them. So we just literally had scan pages of text and uh, wow. we just put it through there. And, and so today, we're now in a position where we create dynamic courses with video and drag and drop features and making users engage through clicking or through browsing somewhere, typing in answers, doing different activities that keep them uh, as engaged as possible. We use a, a software called Articulate Storyline, and that's basically where we're at today. But um, we have to start looking to the future because that's that's no longer good enough either.
0: Right. And so your whole website today, there's a term for that. It, it's called an LMS, right? And, and so... Just as as someone who's maybe never gone through learning online, like what what is that experience like through your website today, as far as signing up, registering for a course, and how does it compare to to in class uh, physical training that would be comparable to uh, you know to to someone who's looking for an ND, NDT certification?
1: Yeah, so it, the online process is you know pretty similar to any other website. You go on, you make an account, register for courses. You have access and then you can log in whenever you want and it's essentially a self-study program but you are given this this sort of an instructor or mentor that has you know 30 40 years of experience that's available whenever you want to ask them questions but um, essentially it's the same process as you would normally see with regards to the second part of your question uh, what was that again?
0: Someone who's, who's looking at two different options. So if they, if they are looking right. at learning online versus learning in class, like what is that experience like uh, through your, your website today?
1: Yeah, so ours is a lot more condensed, obviously. When you learn online, you can learn much faster than in a classroom, where an eight-hour day would be filled with a couple lunch breaks, a couple recess breaks, some introduction to who each person is, an introduction of the instructor, um, all these other different things, you can actually just sit there and deal with just the material. So you can fly through it quite a bit quicker. In the classroom setting, you're maybe going to get to meet new people. I guess that's kind of the big advantage there. You're going to meet new people probably in the same industry as you, maybe network a bit. You don't really have that networking luxury with the online, at least the way we've got it set up now. So that would probably be the advantage to the classroom, but if you like to just get your training done and you're a self-starter and a self-learner, then the online is, is by far the way to go. You save on you know, hotel accommodations, you save on paying to go to a, a classroom training because they have to pay for the building, they have to pay for the physical instructor to be there for eight hours a day. So you're able to save a lot of costs, and we're able to save a lot of costs and push those off to our clients at the end of the day as well.
0: And and of course, learn you know around your own schedule, perhaps work or school or or home or you know in a time like this where people are sort of confined to their their uh, four walls at home. It's it's a great uh, opportunity that gives them some flexibility yet the ability to to keep learning.
1: Of That's course, it. yeah, the flexibility and the convenience is probably the biggest selling point for online training especially in, you know, today's situation that's very anxious and, and uncertain. Um, they can do it whenever they find time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
0: Great. So let's talk a little bit about your customers. So today, who are your customers? What is that demographic like today? You mentioned millennials. What what else? Who's a, a good candidate for worldspec.org?
1: So we, we have all kinds of people from all different industries. To give you some background, like, some of our larger clients are Boeing, for example. We have Bombardier, Northrop Grumman, a lot of large companies, SpaceX, oh, wow. Tesla, all all these companies have used our training. And, and the reason they use the training is because it's far more, again, convenient for them. But the bigger thing is their employees don't have to take time off work to do the training. So they're not losing that employer for one to two weeks to go and take an in-classroom training course and also paying for that person's accommodations and food and lodging and what have you this way the student can do it on their own time and they're not losing them in the workforce great
0: and how many staff like what what does it take to to run your business how how many people are involved in the office remote in the field what does that look like
1: so as of today we really have about a team of 8 there's myself, a business development person, an administrator, and then some instructors. We're kind of all remote. We work from our own homes uh, all over the world. We have an instructor in Egypt. We have a couple people in the U.S., um, some people all across Canada right now. So one of the more interesting things about what we do and what I do is is trying to learn that balance of leadership and trying to, to lead people Uh, completely remotely all over the world at different time zones and making that all sync together properly.
0: Wow so in a time like this uh, and we'll get more into this later but hasn't really impacted your people they're they're used to working from home and this is sort of just they haven't skipped a beat this is just another day in the in the life of a a world spec employee.
1: Well yes and no I think our, our biggest downside in this is is that we need to be better with our infrastructure because we're getting such an influx of people coming in now now that all of the other classroom training centers are beginning to close that um, we have to also keep in mind or i have to keep in mind that all of my other people that work with me have families at home now too and and especially Mm -hmm. those with children at home they're not in school so where i could have gotten eight hours of solid productivity from this person before now i may only get three or four because they have a family as well to attend to. However, we're getting a lot more people coming to the site because we're basically the only ones out there offering this training to them right now from all over the the world. So it's kind of a difficult balance that way. The, the struggle for us right now is more internally trying to make sure everybody isn't overworked, but um, make sure that they're still able to work enough and balance having to deal with, like I said, everybody being at home and, and, um, everybody kind of being afraid and all of those kind of things especially the people that are overseas in Egypt um you know their situation is is not great at the best of times and and so um with the coronavirus hitting that area as well it's it's even more difficult to to make those things mm.
0: and and so talk to me a little bit about your revenue model um are you subscription based do you sell course, is, a, is, a, is it a product? What are you actually selling and how does that revenue model look today?
1: So in terms of strategy, we're a low-cost provider. We we do have a couple of competitors. They offer a significantly higher product. They do all video training. Ours is, is more interactive, but we try to be the low-cost provider. And especially now, what we're doing is we're opening our doors a bit and actually discounting a lot of the prices so that these people that are dealing with the coronavirus and still need to get mm. that training in, uh, we want to accommodate them and, and be available to them. I think the biggest opportunity for us in terms of revenue models right now is accessibility and availability. If we can be available for these people at all hours of the day and offer incredible customer service, we're going to gain them for the long term. So even if we're you know, just barely breaking even on a, a course or something, it's worth it both for us and, and for them. Um, In terms of the revenue model, like I said, we're we're a low-cost provider, and we match everybody's price that that comes to us, and we really feel good about our course. We believe that learning in an interactive and engaging way is is better than just video training where you're just sitting there and watching a movie of something because you could fall asleep during that movie. You know, you're not physically getting involved and, and having to pay attention.
0: Right, and so when someone comes and buys your your a uh, course, are they are they just buying that one course, or do you sell a, a recurring subscription that they opt into, or what is that revenue? Model yeah, like sorry, I,
1: I sort of f- forgot about that. Oh, that's question. okay. It's just a course by course basis. We're not subscription at this time. Okay. They could buy one course or we do have like two course, three course, four course specials, but generally it's, it's a course by course basis. And a lot of what we do for these bigger clients like Boeing is we'll sell them course credits. So that maybe they'll buy, you know, 20 course credits at a time. And then they can simply just call or email us and say, you know, I'd like to assign two credits to these two employees for these two courses. And then we deduct that off of their account. And so they now have 18 credits left. And so that's kind of our big play on, on that. Okay. And so with that said,
0: how much of your business is, is repeat business then? How can you can you share that? You know, what percentage of, of your, your revenue is you know Boeing coming back and buying more more courseware or more credits?
1: Yeah, so we have a very high repeat business because in our industry, taking one course and having one method in our industry is not enough. So because we offer 30 different courses, we quite often have people coming back to, to then take, you know, three, four, five more courses over the course of the next few years. Um, So it's a very high repeat customer basis. Awesome.
0: So you started this, this company long before online learning was popular. You shared a little bit about what that looked like within your industry. Uh, Tell us where did the idea even come from?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I was saying, my father, was a trainer worldwide. And as we were growing up, he was always gone. He was in Amsterdam and Dubai and uh, Portugal, all over the place doing training. And uh, he really got sick of being away from his kids. So one night we were actually all sitting around in a hot tub and we just were brainstorming ideas. And we came up with the idea to do online training and You know, that was that. We kind of committed to it. The rest is history. (laughs) Yeah. My uncle happened to own a um, website company as well as a server hosting company. So he was able to kind of help us out with bootstrapping some of the initial uh, development and funding that we needed for it. And uh, then we just went from there with it.
0: Back in the napkin business plan. Yeah.
1: Classic, exactly. love it exactly. So, how, how
0: does the the acceptance for online learning? And just to give us a, a bit of a time horizon here, when, when did you start
1: the company? Uh, two thousand and three was when we, I guess, formally started it. Okay, so so two thousand and three online
0: learning was just a new thing in in its infancy. We all we all know about it today, and especially in this time, we're seeing literally every school out there is is scrambling to find ways to take their curriculum online when you when you look at your industry specifically what's the acceptance like today for online learning uh in
1: in the ndt world you know it's it's still not close to 100 percent. we still have a lot of people that are um object to it they they don't think that the, the training is sufficient Basically, these courses that they attend are generally one or two week courses. However, the material that's in them, if you look at a PowerPoint slide and you just sat there and went through that PowerPoint slide with audio attached to it, you could finish that in about, you know, a seven or eight hour day. And so putting that online and condensing that online is therefore, in their opinion, reducing a two week course down to a one eight hour day of sitting and watching Mm. online learning. And so they can't equate where typically they would have somebody take two weeks. Now they're only taking one day. And so for them, there's a loss in the translation there. There's, there's something missing even though the same body of knowledge is being covered throughout the curriculum of the course. So that's been one thing that still is a thorn in our back and still an obstacle that we, you know, may never overcome. Um, However, do
0: you you see that changing right now? Like uh, at this time?
1: Yeah, so that's the thing with COVID and, and coronavirus, evidently everybody seems to be throwing that by the wayside and just wanting to get their guys trained and, and getting them out there or, or at least giving them something to do that's productive in this anxious time.
0: So let's, let's jump into that. Let's talk about coronavirus. What, what were your immediate thoughts when coronavirus and COVID-19 started to hit the news?
1: My immediate thoughts were uh, fear. I had just had a, a baby, so he was only about one month old at the time. And my wife is a pharmacist, and, and so we have a lot of friends that are in the medical field. And, and it sounded um, very scary to me, who has, you know, almost no background or full <laughs> understanding of what it was when it first came out. Um, but which is
0: most of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. and And so... Um, just, you know, you fear the unknown and you fear that uncertainty, but the other thing that went through my head was, you know, this could be a great business opportunity for us. We're positioned perfectly. We're kind of the, the one industry that it has an opportunity to thrive in this situation where so many are struggling, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: So before the crisis hit, what was your biggest challenge as a business?
1: As I kind of mentioned before, legitimacy is, is okay. the biggest one. Um, there's an entire baby boomer generation that's still in management and, and you know still doesn't want to accept or believe that the online training is, is sufficient for their employees. That's what I would probably say. We also face a challenge of staying current. We have to constantly update the material and even the platform that we're using is highly outdated. So with the internet and, and with online companies if something's five years old it's about 40 years old in terms of internet technology so paying for that and keeping that current and and having uh, a team in place that can really help with that that's a major challenge for us Hmm.
0: and so when did you start to see an impact in your business as you know the virus was spreading and things were blowing up in the news can you pinpoint a turning point for your business when you started to see the phones
1: ringing and and new signups and your sales growing We typically grow about 10% per year on revenue. And where we're at right now is we're up 20% already from last year after the first quarter. So that's a significant improvement for us, obviously. But the start of March was really where we saw the spike come in. And we were all kind of like, okay, you know, we, we have to get organized. Communication has to be key because, as I said, we're all working remotely. So, you know, we need to know when someone's going to be available here, when someone's going to be able to jump in and do this so that all became key and we're using you know some chat features and obviously relying heavily on our phones and uh, trying to get through that
0: and so from the start of March when you when you started to see this impact to now has it has there been a bit of a hockey stick curve there has it just been consistent growth what has that growth looked like it's
1: it's just been consistent I would say honestly it's kind of going up kind of like the coronavirus charts are all going up we're probably reaching that point that uh, that China was at. We're we're seeing where we would typically do um, last year in March. We did about seventy thousand. That's seventy thousand U.S. dollars. We're now about to eclipse about one hundred and ten thousand, and you know we still have probably close to a week left here in March. So it, it's really going off the walls for us, and you know we're excited about that, but we also are very customer centric, so we need to make sure that we're able to deliver great customer service as well.
0: So as you look at new customers, have you acquired any, any? have they mostly been one-offs or have you acquired any really large contracts like Boeing or any of the larger entities? Or has it mostly been people maybe going back and re-educating, taking this opportunity to learn a new skill? Do you have any ideas around what that demographic in, in March looks like versus what it might normally look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the only big client that we really have taken in is, is Siemens. They're a large worldwide client, mainly in the energy sector. A lot of it, though, has been, as you've mentioned, individuals who are, you know, taking this opportunity to work from home and, and try to get trained up in some stuff that they typically wouldn't have had time to do before because they're working full time and they have their family. Now, most of them aren't working at all. And uh, some of the companies that are, you know, good employers will subsidize them to take this training while they're at home so that they can be more prepared when they come back out to the job site. So we're, we're seeing mainly that situation.
0: And then with with this change in, in March, have there been any specific strategies or any ways that you've adapted your business or found particular ways to, that you were able to innovate to capture this this opportunity uh, that that you saw ahead of you was there
1: anything uh, specific that you chased after or evolved within your business? Just infrastructure, you know. We, we're before we were, I guess, a little bit of a smaller business, so we were just, um, and we still are every day, kind of reassessing how we deal with growth, right? And and how we innovate and, and deal with this significant growth that can come on at any time. And so we just are looking at different innovative ways to handle that whether that be through using things like Slack or being able to offer new features to our students or our clients. Right now, we're just at a point where honestly we're just trying to fulfill orders and, and get those done. But in the background, you know, we're trying to look at different innovative options to handle it. The other interesting thing is you have to be cautious about how much you spend and and how fast you can get that innovation going. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. In most cases especially with online stuff development takes time and you know maybe we're going to be out of this in a couple months so if we commit you know a couple hundred thousand dollars to some development you know will it be worth it at the end of the day will we see the roi on it if we're going to be out of it in a couple months or will this take a year and will it be well worth it there's so much up in the air that you know we're kind of still scrambling so you brought up a really good point um and let me dig into that a little bit what
0: what happens if if this persists 6 months what what do you see as your biggest challenge should this you know go on beyond 1 month 2 months and and runs for the better part of this year
1: i mean resources are are a big challenge we would obviously need more people and with people there there's the challenge of having to deal with hiring and training and having to be able to do that virtually wouldn't be ideal but that's something that we'd have to deal with It'd be mainly the resources in terms of human talent.
0: So you mentioned this a little bit earlier on when you talked about the different uh, challenges you've had as you've ramped or had to ramp things up and respond to the influx of uh, sales. What's keeping you most occupied? And, and I don't know if you can give some specific examples around where you're finding the majority of your energy is going. And then I don't know if you have some examples for your team, can, can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the majority of my energy right now is is just trying to ensure that each of our customers is, is getting the experience that they need and really customizing all of our training right now. I wanna make sure that anybody that comes to this site can afford to take the training. So we are slashing prices if we have to, and we're even opting for payment plans. If somebody wants to pay 50% down now, they can get access to the course and we just won't give them their certificate until they've paid the balance. We're, we're trying to really work with the customer right now more than we ever have before. And so mm. that's that's been my role for most of this period.
0: So that's really interesting. When you, when you look at The economic challenge that so many people are finding themselves in, I think, you know, the most recent numbers were were a million EI applications in the last week, you're adapting your product to try to capture that, that audience as people maybe find that they have more time on their hands, but can't necessarily afford to to invest or you know the company they work for is cutting back and you know minimizing their overhead again you're catering your product in this time to that particular opportunity which i i think is really great
1: yeah well there's a few things i mean first of all we make about a 60 percent profit margin so we have wiggle room with that but the other thing is i believe that if we can appeal to these people now we can have a client for life right and so that's a much bigger picture for us. Yes, we'll give you a course at almost cost, but we know that in our industry, one course is not going to be enough. So that person is going to come back and therefore want to take much more courses through us down the road. And that's that's what we're really aimed at.
0: So there's there's a recertification or continuing education component to, uh, to the life of a client with Absol- WorldSpec?
1: Absolutely, yes, yeah.
0: Great. So so what's next? What's next for WorldSpec? Where do you see
1: the greatest opportunities from this point forward? We really want to look at doing more live training, you know, whether that be through webinars or through just having an instructor that's available 24-7, kind of like a live chat, somebody that they can just type in a, a box and immediately have a, someone there to answer their questions. So we're looking at different options for that. In addition to that, we are a worldwide training entity. However, we only operate in English. And so we're looking at scaling into different languages, which is has a whole set of unique challenges of its own because our industry is based on acronyms uh, like NDT and, and everything within the industry is based on acronyms. And so you, you have to have somebody with a working knowledge of our industry that's doing the translation. You can't just hire a typical mm. translation company to come in and, and do your translation. So... We're looking at Spanish and Chinese. And then with that comes, you have to find obviously certified instructors and trainers that speak those languages and are available to communicate online as well. So that those are our next approaches for sure as we get into 2020 and 2021. here. And so what, what would you
0: say to those listening who maybe are struggling in their business? There's a lot of uncertainty in the world around us right now from a health perspective, from an economic perspective. Uh, And and I should say many of those people haven't figured out how to pivot or shift or innovate in their own businesses. So they're really struggling to figure out how to make ends meet, how to keep their business alive right now. What advice can you give those people that maybe you've learned er early on or just through the innovation that you've
1: seen in a market that perhaps is quite resistant to it even still? You know what? Um, before the coronavirus got here we kind of had our own virus in all of business and a lot of that is just disruptive technology you're seeing that blockbuster has gone uber comes in and, and upends the cab industry these things are all considered viruses to traditional business you know and so i think anybody that's in business now really has to always have innovation at the top of mind and, and also not just innovation but infrastructure and you know, how flexible can we be? How mobile can we be if the situation arose? You know, do we have things in place that we can turn on quickly like a generator if we lost power? You know, something like an emergency plan. Those should be top of mind right now mm-hmm. in a world where every industry has disruptive technologies starting to take over.
0: And do you have any any resources or suggestions you can make to help people find ideas or, or find frameworks or methodologies around idea generation
1: or technology itself or innovation? I mean, nothing out of the ordinary. I think looking at agile ways of doing things is obviously a a good option. Going and reading books that are by experts in that industry would be ideal. But um, really I've always just thought there was a fire on my ass all the time and you just got to constantly keep taking that next level, keep going to the next step and, and, just constantly feeling like sitting back on your laurels is going to cost you your business and if you always have that at the top of your mind um, then innovation will find you You, you'll find a way to to make it work it the whole business world is going to change here once this coronavirus is done because there's going to be so many businesses that are going to realize that they can work remotely and that they don't need hundred thousand square feet of office space, half their staff can work from home, you know?
0: It sounds like you have this tendency to always operate your business uh, and your work on, under a bit of a, a mode where, where you always see that there's risk of that next competitor or of that next innovation that puts you out of business. Would that be an accurate assessment?
1: Yeah. And I, I believe that any entrepreneur today that's in business should be operating by that same principle.
0: Thanks for being on the show, Parker. What's the best way for people to reach you if they want to connect with you?
1: They can just visit our website, which is www.worldspec. So W-O-R-L-D, S is in Sam, P is in Peter, E as in Edward, C as in Charlie.org. Check it out. And if you're interested in the industry, give us an email. And now is the time to be buying because I'm throwing out discounts. So. Awesome. Thanks so much, Parker. Have a great day. Thank you, Ryan. You too. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneurs
0: vs. Coronavirus podcast with your host, Ryan Kononoff. For complete show notes and additional information, visit clearbridge.ca slash podcast. Ryan is the founder of Clearbridge Business Solutions. To find out how investing in technology can help your business, especially during uncertain economic times, visit lifewithclearbridge.ca. Connect with Ryan on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Ryan Kononoff. That's
1: R-Y-A-N-K-O-N-O-N-O-F-F. Thanks for listening.